0: Okay, today I'm wondering, how many of you out there have ever felt like an outsider? (laughs) I have spent my first, let's say, 20 years after college um, living in about 19 different places. I never was able to really feel like I fit into a group. I've always felt like an outsider. I think that probably Matthew felt similar he was a Jew in a Roman world doing a Roman job the Jews didn't like him the Romans didn't want much to do with him because he was a Jew but I think he understood that because part of his gospel is emphasizing the fact that there are no outsiders in God's kingdom um, and the one method or the one story that he uses to demonstrate this is what I'm calling the bread plot. You'll find it in Matthew 14 and 15. It follows pretty closely what Mark wrote in um, chapters 6 through 8. But the bread plot that we're going to examine today was written by Matthew using two feeding stories, e- episodes, as a framework for a st- Another story in the middle of a Syrophoenician woman, who um, asks Jesus for a favor. That's at the center of the frame. These three episodes all work together as a enacted parables, real life parable, which parables are usually used to teach us something. So let's open our discussion in looking into Matthew 14. I'm going to pick up this story around verse um, 13. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat to a, pri- to a solitary place. Now, just to refresh your memory, the first few verses of um, Matthew 14 are talking about what happened to John the Baptist and how he lost his life And apparently this probably affected Jesus to some point a bit. And he wanted some alone time to grieve. However, hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from all the towns. So that when Jesus landed, he saw this large crowd and had compassion on them. Put aside his grieving and healed their sick. They spent most of the day with him. And there seemed to be a problem, but the disciples notice it. As the evening's falling, they notice there's a problem, Um, at least in their mind. And so they mention it to Jesus. You see, they're in a desolate place, and there's no McDonald's around the next rock. There's no subway just across by the next tree. So as evening approaches, they said to him, this is a remote place. And it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go home and buy, or at least go home and get their food or go to the villages and buy themselves something. Their solution to the problem, send the crowds away. However, Matthew starts out this. His gospel is about making sure that the Jews realize that Jesus has come to fulfill some of their prophecies. One of which was that the Messiah would be the Davidic shepherd king. What would the Davidic shepherd king do if Matthew's wanting to prove that Jesus is this special Messiah? Wouldn't he feed the sheep? Another big theme that we see in Matthew is that Jesus is going to be that greater prophet that was talked about um, in Deuteronomy, greater prophet than Moses. Moses fed all those people in the wilderness. So if Moses did that, should not this new Messiah be able to do that? After all, they're in a remote place just like Moses was. But the disciples don't think that's possible. Not in today's world. That was something that happened in the olden days. Can't happen now. First lesson I'm getting from this is God's the same today as he was yesterday. If he can feed the whole nation in that wilderness, he can feed a few in this wilderness. So Jesus replies, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Ha, he's throwing it back on the, onus, on the disciples. Here's where I pick up my second lesson. God never gives a command that he does not enable you to complete. Disciples are a little skeptical. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered, obviously thinking, that's not going to go very far. What does Jesus say? Bring them to me, he said. And directed that everybody should sit down on the grass here's where I found my third lesson whatever you have give it to Jesus he goes on he takes the five loaves and the two fish he blessed them he broke the loaves then he gave the the loaves to the disciples and they, the disciples, gave the loaves to the people. Now, there was four verbs in this, these couple of verses that I want to point out. Make sure you notice them because we're going to encounter them as we go through the rest of our study today. First of all, Jesus takes the loaves. He blesses the loaves. He breaks the loaves. And he gives the loaves. Then the disciples give the loaves to the people. What happened when Jesus' solution was followed? All the people ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of the men who ate was about 5,000. Did you ever wonder why it was important to Matthew to use these numbers? Why does he make sure that he points out there were 5,000 and there were five loaves? You see, the setting for this narrative is speaking to us in socio-political and, and religious terms, which are mainly found in the numbers and the words. These numbers are representative of the Jewish culture. The number five, being that there are five books in the Torah. And the number 12, there were 12 tribes. So each word is referring back to the Jewish culture in this setting. Even the word that they use for baskets that were left over is the Jewish, is usually one that's referred to as a Jewish basket. you can say that word. <laughs> Kofenos, or maybe kofenoi, is the, the plural. Anyway, all of these words are pointing to what appears to be associated with the Jews. And did you notice that when God provided, there was enough and even leftovers? Now I want to ask you, have you ever wondered if there would be enough for you. I read a story not long ago of a little girl. I'm guessing she was probably about six, seven years old. Her father was an administrator of the church and lived in South America, I believe it was. So there were a lot of remote areas that he was responsible for. And a couple of times a year, he had to travel around to go to these different churches and um, collect their offerings, minister to them, whatever. On this particular day, he decided that he would take his little girl with him. And the first place that they stopped was um, a lady who owned a hotel. She took him into a room, and there was this huge table. At least it was huge to a six-year-old. And when the lady came back, she put in a huge pile of money right in the middle of the table. The little girl's eyes were wide. But the lady started counting them out. This pile, that's for, church, for the tithe. This pile is for evangelism. This pile is for church budget. This pile is for other ministries in the church. And the little girl's watching this, and she's realizing that the money's dwindling. And they haven't given anything for her yet. And it's getting way past time for her to make sure that they know this. So when the lady had finished and there was nothing left, she blurted out, and for my bicycle? Well, of course, that became the um, proverbial statement from then on in the family. Whenever somebody was a little bit selfish and wanted extra food or extra money or even extra attention, the whole family would blurt out, and for my bicycle? But there are times when I've wondered if there would be enough. And in the time of Jesus, I'm sure there were many people who wondered the same thing, especially those who lived on the other side of the lake. Now again, this is a loaded phrase, which to the Jewish people that would be reading this would have spoken to them of the outsiders or the Gentiles. See, after Jesus fed the 5,000 and everybody was satisfied with the provision he had made, he sent his disciples to the other side of the lake. A storm deterred them, and they ended up back in Jewish territory. Maybe the storm was a reminder of what was going on in their hearts because if you remember the story, they had wanted to make Jesus king. I mean, after all, he just fed all these people with nothing. But Jesus sent them away because it wasn't time yet. So we have this detour in our story, and they're back in Jewish territory. The Pharisees end up with a discussion with Jesus as to the proper way of washing hands and, and what you should do about before you eat bread and... Um, some of those other things like that, and what's clean, what's unclean, what's really defiling a person, there's this discussion. But after that, we come to the story that is the filling of our sandwich or the center of our picture of the, in the feedings of the thousand. Jesus crosses over into unclean territory. He enters the area of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this is really a pagan part of the country this is really not good after all do you remember that's where Jezebel came from how much more pagan could you get however we're going to pick up our story in Matthew 15 uh, about verse 22 we're talk- going to talk about an uncomfortable situation for the disciples again we've got a Canaanite woman coming there and she has the audacity to ask for mercy you see, she wants something for her bicycle, too. A Gentile woman who lived in the area came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She recognizes who Jesus is. For my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. Now, if I'm one of the disciples, knowing them pretty much, I can imagine them scratching their head and saying, how is that possible? Mercy for a Gentile? Come on, Jesus, you know better than that. She doesn't give up. You remember the story, she pursues them for quite a while. And the disciples are getting very uncomfortable with this. They're wondering, when is Jesus going to do something about this? Finally, they're so uncomfortable that they come to him and say, send her away. See, they didn't learn anything from the first story. They're still sending her away, just like they wanted to send the crowds away. However, this is where I came up with my second lesson. God doesn't send anyone away who sincerely comes to him. However, it seems that way because the next thing Jesus says to the woman is, I was sent only to help God's lost sheep the people of Israel. Finally, the disciples are saying, he's getting it. He's going to take care of this woman the way she should have been taken care of. She responds, though, in agreement. She does not detour. She came and worshipped him, still pleading, Lord, help me. She hasn't given up. Jesus responds, it's not good to take bread from the children and throw it to the dogs. Now, the dog's word here is more closely associated with a pet, so it's not quite like he's calling her a dirty, trashy dog. But um, she's not deterred by this. Jesus is adding to this bread plot, trying to make sure that his disciples get the idea. She asks for a humble place. She says, I know, Lord, that's true. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Satisfy the children first with the bread. Just give me some of the scraps, she said. All right, Jesus is convinced. He understands and is hoping the disciples do. Dear woman, Jesus said, Your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed instantly. Here's where I came up with my sixth lesson that I needed to know faith is persistent. I find myself giving up way too soon, especially when the answer doesn't seem to be what I wanted at first it's kinda easy to give up on God she didn't and Jesus commended her faith healed her daughter and this is where there's a breakthrough event in the Gospel of Matthew because this is where Matthew and hopefully the reader finally get the idea that there's no outsiders in the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven is for everyone could it bo- possibly be true that I am included? It doesn't seem like disciples get the idea yet. So Jesus has to repeat the lesson; they haven't understood the significance of the Gentile crub, the crumbs. Excuse me. So we go on to the next story, and we see that Jesus leaves this. Tyre area he skirts the Sea of Galilee which means he's not on the Jewish side he's skirting it and going around into the um, area of Decapolis so he's still in Gentile territory a vast crowd brought him the people who were lame blind crippled those who couldn't speak and he healed them all does that sound familiar Is that not what Jesus did when he fed the 5,000? They came to him, they brought their sick, and Jesus healed them all. One thing I found very interesting in this is Jesus is in the area of Decapolis. Do you remember what else happened there a few months before this? This is where those madmen came rushing at Jesus and he cast the devils out of them. They wanted to go with Jesus, right? What did Jesus tell them? Go tell your friends and family what I've done for you. He didn't tell them to go tell the gospel. He didn't tell them to make a grandiose story or or preach a thousand sermons. Just go tell your friends what he's done to me. A vast crowd brought him people who were lame, blind, and crippled. A vast crowd. Those (laughs) madmen did their job. pick up the story now with me I think it starts in verse 32 Jesus has to draw attention to the fact that the people need food remember our first story the disciples mentioned that Jesus there's no place out here for them to get food but this time Jesus has to do it Jesus has to point it out why didn't the disciples think that the Gentiles were permitted to eat of God's blessings doesn't seem so because they're not being very cooperative about all of this but we see that Jesus called his disciples to them and said I feel sorry for these people they have been with me for three days and I don't want to send them away hungry otherwise they're going to faint on their way but the disciples are consistent they still resist Where would we get enough food in this wilderness to feed this large crowd? I have always wondered about that statement because they just witnessed Jesus feeding more people than he's going to feed now. So why do they not get it? Is this still more evidence that they don't believe that Gentiles Are deserving or allowed to eat of the crumbs they don't understand it it appears so again jesus gently leads them along he says how much bread do you have they reply seven loaves and a few small fish way more than the first time but jesus has to take the initiative and here's where i came up with my next lesson that i gave myself god takes the initiative he meets me where i am he won't leave me there but he'll meet me there so he's gently leading these disciples on since they have more bread this or more bread this time and feeding less people shouldn't be an issue but here we see that he took the seven loaves He thanked God for them. He broke them in pieces and gave them to the disciples who distributed the food to the crowd. Does that sound familiar? He took the loaves. He gives thanks for the loaves, same as blessing. He breaks the loaves. He gives the loaves, and the disciples give the loaves to the people, to the crowd. And once again, we have a familiar statement. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. You see, this story is so similar to the first one in our frame. It's just the numbers changed in this story. You notice that we are not talking about five and twelve. We're talking about four and seven. And those numbers represent the people who lived on the other side of the lake the number four describes people who come from all the corners of the earth north east south west and did you know that seven is the number of baskets collected and represents one for each of the nations displaced by the Israel when they moved into Canaan I was a little surprised at that didn't realize it but when you look in Deuteronomy 7 verse 1 Those seven nations, here we go Hittites, Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Those were the nations that had been displaced when Israel came in and moved. It was also interesting to me to note that when Jesus, after Jesus left and the disciples were establishing the church, They had a few little problems, and we had deacons appointed. Did you know there were seven? Each one of them had a Jewish name. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. You get the idea. Seven is a representative of the people that are... Gentiles. It's also interesting to note that the word used for baskets are the large baskets that are more representative of a Greek basket. It's spiris or spyrides, I think is the um, plural form. But Jesus fed them all, they were all satisfied, and there was plenty in those larger baskets that were collected for the Gentile nations. Jews non-Jews, have all been provided for. The same Jesus fed them. The Davidic prince described in Ezekiel 4, the prophet that was similar and greater than Moses described in Exodus 16, he miraculously fed large crowds. Why is this so important? Now that everybody has been satisfied, it's time to solve this bread riddle What does this bread plot have to do? The passage that really helps us understand what this was all about is found in Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. He broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples. Then Jesus said, take and eat for this is my body. Did you notice that? Again, Jesus takes the loaves, he blesses the loaves, he breaks the loaves, and he gives the loaves. What's missing? The disciples didn't give them out. Fifty days later, they did. Do you remember what happened at Pentecost when they were finally understood what this bread plot was about? They were able to share that thought. And how many were converted? Thousands. One day, I think it was 5,000, another day, they did do it. You see, Jesus' sacrifice was for all. He took, he blessed, he broke, he gave. There was enough for the children and the dogs. There was enough for the 5,000. And for the 4,000. There are large baskets and there are smaller baskets filled with broken bread. Enough for all, because all are satisfied with the provision made at the cross. And there are leftovers for the 12 tribes of Israel and the seven pagan nations. There is enough bread for those on. Oops. I did the wrong button, sorry. There is enough for those on this side of the lake. There is enough for those on the other side of the lake. It's really good news. I like what John adds to the narrative of the same story. In John's book, he said he reveals that Jesus is the bread of life. He's the true manna that came down from heaven. And in verse 35, Jesus goes on to say, I am the bread. I am fulfilling the bread plot. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. And the bread that I am, I am the living bread. And the bread that I give for the world is my flesh. So now we understand this bread plot and why it was important for Jesus to feed the Jews, the non-Jews, the Syrophoenician. On those days when you ponder if there's going to be enough for you and for my bicycle, that's when I kind of sometimes think, yeah, Jesus is the Savior of the world. He died to save the world, but... For me, I probably went too far. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's time to remember the bread plot, the solved riddle. There's enough for everyone on this side, enough for everyone on the other side. Yep, there is enough for leftovers for the children. There is enough leftovers for the dogs. There's enough for those who have it all together there's enough for those who do not you see his grace is sufficient there is enough for your bicycle and enough for mine you may may you live in the abundance of recognizing that Jesus broken body purchased you and there is plenty for everyone so may I encourage you to Eat the bread, and when you have, it's time to give the bread to the people. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and may we then realize your calling for us, to give the bread to the people and we ask for your guidance in this direction in jesus name amen